quite unusual. What kind what? of accent is that? I don't know. What? what? I, I wish know. I had. I didn't have it. Do it again. Let me know when we start recording. We are recording. I don't know where I'm from with this accent, but it feels right. It's got a, it's got a hint of Russian. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, but then what is like this? Like, maybe just like a weird Russian person? Just like if I like were to talk to you like, hey, everybody. <laughs> and then I barked. <laughs> I've been working. I've actually been working on my dog. It's really good. You can bark and then also talk at the same time. I'm like a ventriloquist in that way. Okay. It's pretty good, right? <laughs> you also can snarl at me when I tell you to stop. I've been working on my snarl. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I wasn't ready to unveil it. It's kind of my blue steel moment, my magnum. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, here we are. All right. All right. Are we, reco- are we recording? Yeah, let me just find. Okay. Yep. Okay, yep. great. Okay, great. Um, I don't know what to say. Okay, we're recording. I'm just going to do on. this. Just go for it. We're on? We're on. I didn't see the red recording light. Oh, you, I went five, four, three. Hello and welcome to... I'm just kidding. Hello and welcome to the Koi Unusual podcast. The podcast where we record in a room full of very small animals that are very annoying. And they're making so much noise. See? It's, there's one. It is nonstop. You're gonna, probably going to hear a hiss. We're not cutting it out. Definitely a dog bark. We're keeping it. We, they just, they have to be with us when we record. This is because they're, re- they're worse when they're not with us. <laughs> they actually. are worse, yeah. Yeah. I'm more afraid of what they would do when I'm not around, so... Well, right now they're just physically running into each other. As we got, bodies. we got, oh, oh my god, we got two cats, a dog, and a snake. Oh. And the snake is the best one, the best behaved. That was him. That was the snake. <laughs> he was like, yeah, that's a Persian growler right there. Is what we have. <laughs> Persian growler. <laughs> yeah, very rare. Um, <laughs> that's what we have. That's what Alvis is. He's mm. the accountant. Yum. And we are your hosts. I am Noelle. And I am Nicole. And this is part two of Jeannie the Feral Girl, which mm. we're having conflicting feelings about calling Feral Girl, but yeah. we've already gone too far and titled the first that's, episode that. That's what she's called, though. I mean, if you like look up, if you look up Jeannie, it's, they peg her as the Feral Girl, yeah. which I don't know if I necessarily would subscribe her to that but you know i don't love it she was more of just like a neglected child but i guess yeah. she's feral in the sense that she wasn't like encultured but genie the neglected the but genie the neglected child doesn't really have the same ring to it, it doesn't have that so. hollywood pizzazz you yeah. know like it's just showbiz baby sometimes you have to insult a child in order to make a buck <laughs> insult a child i'm pretty sure that's the plot of that <laughs> Shia LaBeouf movie, Honey Boy. Is that what's called? Honey Child? Honey, honey boy. boy, the feral honey boy. Pie. Honey, the feral boy. Shia, Honey, the feral LaBeouf. I think it's what it's called. Mm, yes. All right. Well, this is spiraling. So what we're going to do is suggest that if you have not listened to part one, please go do so. Yeah. Or you will have literally no idea what's going on. Like, you cannot follow this. I promise. Yeah. Not even a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, my so, dog's licking the table right now. We're keeping it in. It's This is a no-nonsense, no-editing show. We're not doing this 
you're gonna hear all sorts of noises. Also, we got a fucking blizzard today, so there's yeah. probably gonna be snow snow blowers snow happening. Blowers. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely like one old woman with a tiny shovel that you're gonna hear, <laughs> just like AKA our neighbor. Our, yes. Um, <laughs> it's tiny, gonna tiny shovel. So this one might be a little bit dirty on the audio side, yeah. but uh, sometimes we like it dirty. We always like it dirty. Yes. All right. We're spiraling, and I'm going to keep us on track here for once. I will be the one to shut this down. Okay. All right. Yeah, man. I got to catch a flight at three in the morning, so we got to get this done. You put. You getting me on track? Yeah. All right. Let's get this train on the track. Ready? Let's do this shit. So I'm sure you all know because you obviously listened to last week's episode because I would hope so at least. Not what a weird. What a weird place to start. Very weird stuff. Yeah. Imagine if this is the very first episode you've ever listened to. But only but part two. Yes. Only part two. That would be on truly unhinged behavior. Unhinged. Yeah. So as you know, because you all listen to it, we are following the story of a little girl named Jeannie. Her real name is Susan Wiley. She was kept basically like neglected slash horrifically abused yeah for 13 years of her life yeah she was tied to a potty chair or tied into a sleeping bag and then put in basically a cage by her father um her mom was almost completely blind and kind of like didn't do anything to help her yeah conflicting conflicting, yeah uh, i can't fault her completely um Mm -hmm. she has a brother she whatever at this point in the story they are out of that place. Um, her dad is dead. He died by suicide because he was too cowardly to face a trial. Yeah. Um, her mom took her, and by just some stroke of luck, social services found them. And she has been in the hospital for a few years at this point. Yeah. Then that's pretty much where we left off, and that's where we're going to continue. All right. Well, without further ado, Jeannie the Feral Child, part two. two. Wow. All right. So within a month of her admission to the Children's Hospital, Jay Shirley, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at University of Oklahoma, took an interest in Jeannie's case. Shirley was a specialist in extreme social isolation cases and stated that Jeannie's case was the most severe case of isolation he had ever studied or read about. And he actually maintained that sentiment more than 20 years later. Throughout the next year and a half, Shirley visited Jeannie on three three day visits and conducted daily observations on Jeannie. He performed a sleep study in the hopes of determining whether or not Jeannie was autistic or had sustained brain damage, or if she was truly just born mentally challenged. Oh, yeah, because that was sort of her dad's theory, like, the whole time. Yeah, Yeah. right. If you remember from the first one, her dad kind of just, like, wrote her off as a person because he believed she was mentally challenged. Yeah. So Jay Shirley's findings stated that she was not autistic, which was confirmed by later research, And he discovered that she had a high level of emotional disturbance. Well, I mean, duh. Literally, like, girl interrupted (laughs) here. He concluded her eagerness for new stimuli and lack of behavioral defense mechanisms were not characteristics of a person with autism. Interesting. He found no evidence of any brain damage, but found consistent abnormalities in Jeannie's sleep. He found she had a significantly reduced amount amount of REM sleep, and he found that she had a high number of sleep spindles, 
which I guess are bursts of rhythmic or repetitive neural activity while you sleep. Oh, is that sort of like when your eyes go back and forth and like you twitch and like a like a really like rhythmic pattern? Oh, maybe, possibly. I is don't that know. what that is? I would maybe? think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so don't oh. don't quote me on that. But I mean, it makes sense that that would be the case. Sleep spindle sounds so fucking metal. <laughs> sleep spindles. <laughs> He concluded that Jeannie had been mentally challenged from birth due to the abnormal amount of sleep spindles he recorded, which I guess is a characteristic found in people born mentally challenged. Oh, interesting. However, other scientists involved in this case did not agree with that conclusion. Mm. Susan Curtis argued that it was obvious Jeannie had extreme emotional difficulties, but because Jeannie made progress each year after she was rescued, she just believed there was no way. Okay, so she was like, camp, she's not mentally challenged, and then this other guy. Right, because she was, I mean, each year that they studied her, she was learning, and Mm -hmm. she was developing, I guess, in a way that they, a mentally challenged person probably... Wouldn't as rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, not a scientist. Susan said if her condition was congenital or present at birth, she would not be able to make that much progress. Susan believes that Jeannie was born with an average intelligence and that the life she was forced into of abuse and isolation that she suffered through childhood left her mentally and physically challenged. In Jeannie's initial assessment... They observed no reactions from her until they pulled out a small puppet to which she engaged in a small amount of verbal and nonverbal reactions. But it was one of those terrible puppets that Jeff Dunham uses. <laughs> What's that one that he that like he always uses? They're all like super racist and You're like so st- he's the worst. He is. I'm sorry, I even invoked his name right now. <laughs> Why? Why did you? Because every up? time I think about puppets, I think about Jim Henson, which is nice, <laughs> or fucking Jeff, Jeff Dunham. Dunham. And I guess today was a Dunham day. It's a Dunham day. It's a real Dunham day. It's snowing. The animals are being bad. It's just a Dunham day. day. Researchers soon discovered that plays with toys and small puppets were Jeannie's favorite activity. Apart from her tantrums that we talked about in the previous episode, these were the real only times that she expressed any type of emotion. And within a few days of her stay, Jeannie learned to dress herself, and she was soon using the toilet. Though she still suffered from incontinence in the day and nighttime, she this was something that she would slowly improve over time, but also something that she never really got over. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about it. Yeah. Jeannie started to grow and put on some weight, and her confidence doing normal people things grew immensely. She was getting much better at focusing her eyes and her with her hand-eye coordination as well. She started to develop a sense of possession, which doctors could not figure out why. She started to hoard things that she liked, and she would throw a tantrum if someone else touched or moved her objects. She particularly loved colorful plastic objects. She didn't care if they were actual toys or just random objects, but she especially loved beach pails, and if given one of these colorful objects, it would bring her out of a tantrum and out of her shell, really. Well, if you think about it, her dad gave her, like, empty food containers to play with. Yeah. So that was, like, her first toy, and, like, a pail is sort of like that, basically. So she's probably like, oh, 
I know this job. I know what this is. Yeah, I know what to do with this one. I got this, guys. <laughs> After a while, Jeannie started to respond more to other people and started paying attention when they spoke. She showed a response to nonverbal signals, and after a month's stay, she started becoming friendly with the adults. She started greeting the people that she recognized and became sad when they would leave her. Once charges were dropped on her mother, her mom would visit her twice a week, and over a few months, she became a familiar face to Jeannie as well. Which that's I guess is pretty sad that she wasn't already. But. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's so nice. But yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> Doctors noted Jeannie took a liking to destroying small objects. And they thought she did this because it eased some tension she was holding onto from her traumatic childhood. And honestly, can't blame her for that. Right. Sorry, my cat is rubbing her head on the microphone. So we may, I hope that we may get microphone noises right now. I'm it's super fun. sorry. Jeannie showed an interest in classical piano music, which, if you remember from part one, she would hear the sound of the neighbor kids playing piano oh, wafting yeah. through her like tiny little slit of a window that her dad gave her. So researchers believe that this is why she took a liking to classical piano, because yeah, she's, she's familiar. familiar with it. In December of 1970, David Riggler got a small grant from the National Institute of Mental Health to do preliminary studies on Jeannie. In January of 1971, doctors administered a Gessel developmental evaluation and pegged Jeannie at a developmental age of one to three years old. Oh, my God. So remember, she's like almost 14. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I think at this time she might be 14 because it's 71. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, with a mental or developmental age of one to three years old. Jesus. In February, psychologists Jean and Jack Block, not to be confused with Jack Black, <laughs> they evaluated Jeannie and scored her to be at a two to three year old level and even a 12 to 13 year old level in some categories. Oh, that's nice. So, I guess she. I don't know, some category she was yeah. better than others. Jeannie became very interested in language and started mimicking sounds she heard other people make. Wow. I love that. Honestly, I love that for her. <laughs> I hope she was doing it, like, out of sarcasm. I hope she was, like, the most sarcastic person ever. And, like, if anyone made a noise, she'd be like, no. <laughs> I love to think that for her. In April and May of 1971, Jeannie's development rapidly increased, and she scored at a mental age of four years and nine months old, which is oddly specific, but... Yeah, like, what? All right. what's the difference between, like, a, Just a five-year-old? and a five-year-old? I don't know. <laughs> That's what it said, so... Well, don't even think that she's four years and ten months, mm. because you would be mistaken. She's a couple months off from five. Yeah. Her language started to progress as well, so much so that doctors indicated that she had advanced mental categorization of objects and situations focused on objective properties to a degree that wasn't normal for a child. Whoa. What does that mean? I literally copy and pasted that because I had no other way to say it. Wow. <laughs> Can and you tell that I did Advanced that? mental categorization of objects and situations. That's amazing. That sounds like like um, like synesthesia stuff. 
What's that? You know, like when like you can taste colors or like hear numbers or something. It seems like oh, I don't know. I'm just kind of making it up based off like what that sounds like. But it's like that sounds really cool. Like she like sees things in a different way that we don't see them. I think that's what I took from it. Is that she? Yeah. So I mean, at this point, she's 14 years old, right? Right. So I mean, she's she's an adult basically, right. or she's a 14 year old, but mentally she's a child. But mm-hmm. then when it comes to like categorization of objects in like different situations, she's not technically a child. Like she still knows, right? Like she's seen it. So right, and I mean, she's been through some shit too. So yeah, that's really not, interesting. Yeah. Jeannie grew comfortable with the people around her who worked with her day to day, but was still very wary of large crowds. Same. I I know. I can't believe me there. They threw her a birthday party with a lot of people, and she actually had to leave because she started to have an anxiety attack. So they had to, like, remove her and calm her down. That's sad, but I get it. Yeah, yeah I, it I definitely get it, mm-hmm. too. Jeannie started to engage in physical play with adults, and at the end of her stay, she enjoyed giving and receiving hugs, mm. which I think is very sweet, especially where she came from. You oh, know, yeah. She still threw tantrums, but they weren't as erratic and unexpected. In April of 1971, Jeannie attacked another girl staying at the hospital because she thought that she had stolen her hospital dress. Okay, so the girl had it common. <laughs> well, I mean, they all had the same hospital dress. Oh, true, so, true, true. You know. But this was the first time that she had showed a sense of possession and the first time that she directed her anger towards another person. So, like, she saw this girl wearing yeah. a dress that she had worn before, and mm-hmm. she was like, what the fuck? That's my dress. Mm-hmm. So she physically attacked her. <laughs> In January of 1971, scientists conducted a series of neurolinguistics tests on Jeannie to test her mental development. This was the first time these tests were performed on someone who could not speak. Oh, so they were probably extremely accurate. <laughs> right. Then. So, yeah, we're, we're going to call it that. They discovered her entire brain was physically intact. And with Shirley's sleep study, they determined that she was a left hemisphere dominant person and was most likely right handed. In early March of 1971, neuroscientists Ursula Belugi and Edward Klima came to administer their own brain exams on Jeannie. Audiometry tests determined she had normal hearing in both ears, but discovered her left ear identified language sounds more accurately. Whoa, I wonder if that's a thing with all of us. Like, one of our ears is like, like, this is my listening ear. This is my snooping ear. Well, they say that you're, like, each person, which I'll go into a little bit later, but okay. you're either, like, left-brained or right-brained. Yeah. That's you know? so neat. Yeah, and if, like, well, we'll get, okay, to, okay, we'll okay. get to it. I won't jump ahead. The major task of the genie team, as they called themselves, was to figure out what came first, genie's abuse or her lapse in development. Was her development delayed due to her abuse, or was she actually born mentally challenged um i think that they probably should have come up with a better name like the genie teamy or like <laughs> the genie team i don't know the genie team just doesn't have like the ring that i wanted to have yeah i know i feel yeah. like they really they shit the bed on that one they really did honestly they could have w- come up with something so much better we should probably come up with something a lot better i'm not going to pay attention to the rest of this episode and i'm only going to think of a new name for them genie teamy <laughs> 
It's better than Jeannie. You, you can do better than that. You can I can sure do better than that. So for three years, Jeannie became the center of the Jeannie teamies' lives. <laughs> They were also interested in the hypothesis of Noam Chomsky, who suggested language distinguishes humans from animals. Before uh, animals have language, though, we just don't. Yeah, I know. Understand they, they it. communicate. Like when I ask Abra if she has to go to the bathroom, and she gives me that face, and we all know that she has to. Yeah, or like when Killy like meows your name all the time. Yeah, she does. She, she goes. Nikki. Yeah, she also goes. It's really, it's honestly very unsettling. She can speak unsettling. English, yeah. It's very unsettling. It's very, very unsettling. She's the smartest kind of life. Take that nom. <laughs> Before Jeannie, there was no way to really test out these theories because they didn't have a kid who was locked in a room for 13 years. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, wow, now we have the capability of doing this. And Jeannie showed them that grammar was difficult to learn without prior training from childhood. But communication and language were completely attainable. Well, grammar is hard now as an adult right? woman. It's like, what so, version of there do I use? Just no. kidding. I know. Oh, I know. Okay. Trust me, I know. <laughs> it's like my biggest pet peeve. I just like hyperventilated a little bit. <laughs> According to Psychology Today, and this is a quote, the case of Jeannie confirms that there is a certain window of opportunity that sets the limit for when you can become relatively fluent in a language. Of course, if you already are fluent in another language, the brain is already primed for language acquisition, and you may well succeed in becoming fluent in a second or a third language. If you have no experience with grammar, however, it remains relatively hard to change. You cannot learn grammatical language production later on in life. Did the Duolingo owl write that? Because it's constantly telling me I need to learn a second language. He's always yelling. Always yelling. No, that was psychology today, not Duolingo today. Okay. (laughs) With all of their advancements in research and everything the genie team was discovering, there were some critics of their methods, and each of the scientists on the team accused each other of abusing their position and relationships with genie. Yeah, it was like fucking reality TV show up in this bitch. <laughs> Someone was walking around banging baking sheets together, yelling. Screaming about how they didn't get enough time with genie. Yeah. 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 I get time with genie. You don't get time with Jeannie. I don't know. I couldn't make that work, but I wanted to in my heart of hearts. Okay. The Jeannie Teamy. The Jeannie Teamy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They had a signature drink called the Jeannie Teeny. Oh, the G and T. The G and T. Yeah. That stands for Jeannie and her team. And her team. <laughs> so Jean Butler, one of Jeannie's special education teachers at the hospital was granted permission in June of 1971 to take her on day trips to her home in the Country Club Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. Everything was going very well until the end of that month when Jean Butler told the hospital that she believed that she may have contracted rubella and was hi- and it was highly likely that Jeannie was exposed since they had been spending so much time together. Oh, okay. Awkward. Um, I have something to admit. I didn't know what rubella was. I was just going to ask you what the hell rubella was. Okay, so a little sidebar here, okay. right? Because I looked into it. So I'm like, well, who are you, rubella? What are you? So it's also called the German measles. 
And the symptoms are pretty mild for adults. Typically, you experience like swollen lymph nodes in your neck, um, a fever, rashes, and then basically other common cold symptoms like a runny nose or you get really tired, you have a headache. Okay. But here's something sort of fun. The vaccine for rubella was invented in 1969. Nice. 69, nice. Yeah. But just before the vaccine was invented, an outbreak hit the United States, causing millions of viral infections. Mm. And hundreds of thousands of pregnant women would lose their unborn children to this virus. And a documented 20,000 children were born with congenital rubella, which causes blindness, deafness, and mental disabilities. Wow. Since the vaccine was invented and became a core vaccine given to children in the first year of their life, the virus has been considered completely eradicated in the United States as of 2004. Oh, would you look at that? That's right. That means that no more children are being born with congenital rubella. Mm. No more children are being lost to the virus. All because we, as a society... Agreed to get a vaccine to fight a virus that had seemingly mild symptoms when it was contracted oh, by adults. Wow. Not to parallel anything that's, in life yeah, right now. That's weird. It, mm-hmm. That's not relevant to me or what's going on in my life at the moment. No. So here I am on my Notting Hill vaccine awareness soapbox. <laughs> I'm just a girl standing in front of a podcast audience asking them to get vaccinated against COVID. Why? So hopefully one day we can consider this virus eradicated as well. Mm, yeah. And that's all. That's all I got. That's the end of the show. Um, I didn't know I was going to do this, but then it seemed really important to just constantly beg people to get vaccinated. Yeah. It's it's funny that we, we still have to do that. And also, I'd like to throw in, please, for the love of God, stop listening to a roided out, mediocre <sighs> host of a TV show where they eat worms. Just, just stop doing that. Yeah. Joe on and go home, Rogan. We're going to take our podcast off of Spotify. That's fucking right. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't even know how to do that. I, I don't even think they would if we asked. I d- can we do it? <laughs> I don't think we can. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever. I think I think the main point here is that don't listen to anything Joe Rogan says. Yeah. Because at one point, someone was just paying him to wear very loose-fitting denim <laughs> and force people to eat live bugs. Yeah, he did have the worst clothes in that show. I remember that night when we watched like 15 episodes yeah. of Fear Factor. I, I, I do love that show. I also love Fear Factor. It's so good. But frankly, I don't know. Just, we just, anyways, we're going to get back to it. Get fucking vaccinated. Stop listening to Joe Rogan. <laughs> That's all. Also, if you go to someone's house and they have like an Alexa or something, just for fun, maybe say, hey, Alexa, play the Joe Rogan experience. And I hope that that picked up on people's stuff. Um, and if it happens to say, continuing the Joe Rogan experience, never talk to that person again. <laughs> okay. I'm Anyways. so sorry if anyone listens to Joe Rogan. No, I don't, I don't care. You keep your sins to yourself, okay? <laughs> this is not sins. a Joe Rogan positive podcast. Okay. <laughs> Let's get back to Jeannie. Her doctor told the hospital that she had contracted rubella and that it was likely that Jeannie had been exposed. Mm. So the hospital was like, hmm, that's sort of a sketchy story. We think that you might be lying. Wait, so the vaccine was in 69 and this is 71 and she's saying that she has it? Yes, because they started giving it widely like a couple years after the vaccine was invented. Okay. So then all new babies got it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then they did a rollout for like adults. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so it wasn't weird at this time to not have gotten the vaccine. Okay. Yeah. 
So the hospital thinks that she might be lying just because it kind of like lines up really weird. Mm -hmm. But then also they were like, okay, well, if you both have rubella, uh, here's temporary custody of Jeannie so that you don't Mm. spread rubella to people. So they can quarantine Mm -hmm. together. Got it. The hospital staff was afraid that placing Jeannie in the contagion isolation ward at the hospital could potentially be highly damaging to her social and psychological development since, you know, she was isolated, basically, uh, for the first 13 years of her life. Mm. Did you say contagion? Yeah. Is that how you say it? How do you say it? Contagion? I say contagion. Really? Yeah. Have I been saying it wrong this have, entire wait, time? <laughs> wait, have I? I always say contagion. I say contagion. Maybe it's a potato-potato situation. I think it is. Who the fuck's this potato? <laughs> Absolutely no Same one. Same people that say contagion. I have contagion. something to tell all of you. I only say potato. <laughs> Potato and contagion. Pass the mashed potatoes, please. In the contagion isolation ward. <laughs> That's the only thing they eat there. Oh, no. You probably shouldn't be passing anything in the contagion, in the contagion ward. No. Not even mashed potatoes. <laughs> so because of this, they granted Jean Butler the right to keep Jeannie in her home as her ward until the quarantine period was over. And then Jean Butler started getting a little bit more suspicious. Butler petitioned for foster care of Jeannie, even though Jeannie had a mom who was deemed by the courts to be completely competent at this time. And at the time, Jean Butler had no children of her own, and she was unmarried, which the authorities saw as sort of just like a benefit to Jeannie because she would get 100% attention. Mm, Yeah. So they didn't really do anything about like her petition but they were like you can hang on to her for a while what about her mom her mom wasn't like this is my kid her mom just didn't care no her mom was a little bit like that if you think about it for Jeannie's whole life so that's true but I guess oh I mean I guess she doesn't have a an abusive husband to blame no she just like Mm -hmm. also doesn't care where her daughter's living so I guess that's kind of that's problematic thing that exists yeah yeah so Jean Butler won temporary foster custody, and the authorities extended Jeannie's stay with Butler until they, quote, came to a conclusion. So in my opinion, it's just like, it's pretty obvious that this bitch lied, right? That she lied about having rebella? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. All right. I just <laughs> I want to make say, sure we're on the same page here. I just, yeah. I mean, yeah. did they even, did they test her? Or was she I just like, know. I'm pretty sure I have rebella? And they were like, well, you know what? If you say so, Jean. Just stay home. Yeah, that's probably exactly what happened. Like, they didn't, tr- like, try to treat her or I test it? I don't know. Or... I mean, it's a virus, so it just runs its course. You can't really do anything about you it. You can test them for it, though. Is there a rubella test? I would assume so. I if there's just... a vaccine, there has to be a test. That's true. I did just kind of learn what rubella was, like, five days ago. Oh, yeah. So Right, right. Yeah. I just learned, like, five minutes ago. Wow, so. congrats. Thanks. Contagen. So Jeannie was beginning to gain weight and become, like, just overall physically healthy for the first time in her life. And when girls are 14 years old and they're healthy, they go through puberty. Yeah. This, in the eyes of Jean Butler, meant that Jeannie only had a few months at most to develop language before she passed this Lennon-Berg's test. Mm-hmm. Remember, they, they thought, like, eh, we're just going to throw this out or whatever. But Jean Butler was really holding on strong to this. Yeah. And the Lennonberg's theory, I don't know if you guys remember from the first episode, but that's the theory that 
if you don't acquire language before mm-hmm. you hit pu- puberty, like yeah. there's no chance for you yeah. to ever be able to speak, basically. Right. Even though that's not like how it works at all. Like no. it's not like once you get your period for the first time, like <laughs> you, can, you just yeah. never learn how to talk. You can't, you don't learn anything after that point. No. That's how it works for females. I haven't learned a single thing since I started <laughs> menstruating. Yeah, me neither. No. It's just. That's why we're dumb and we can't do math. And mm-hmm. That's yeah. why we've never been president. That's why we need the patriarchy. <laughs> So, yeah, this is more of like a guideline, um, but I'm not a doctor, as you are not a scientist. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm. But this pushed Jean Butler to study Jeannie even harder and to try to push her progress just as hard as she could. She noticed that Jeannie was beginning to hoard objects, specifically containers of various liquids that she would Mm. keep in her room near her bed. What kind of various liquids are we talking? I do not know. About? I googled various liquids, Jeannie, <laughs> okay. and like every combination of the word, and I could not figure it out. Okay, but this is before plastic water bottles, so I'm picturing like a lot of weird jars, like yeah. semi full of water. Yeah, maybe with some like food coloring in there to make mm, them look cool. Maybe just various li- like gasoline. I don't know, <laughs> like various liquids. Vodka. Yeah, this one is her vodka bottle. This mm. one is her gasoline bottle. This one is her chloroform bottle. Mm. Don't smell it. At the time, Jean Butler was also determined to get Jeannie over her fear of cats and dogs. But she didn't know why Jeannie was really scared of animals. If you remember from last week, her dad was a monster and mm. just like acted like a dog to scare Jeannie. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he did. Um, but the scientists didn't know that at this time. Oh. Yeah, they learned like way later, which I'll I'll talk about later. Okay. Um, but they learned like several years from now. And they were like, oh, that makes sense now. Yeah, totally. Ugh. Jean Butler gave Jeannie a battery-powered toy dog that Jeannie did not like because it barked and it, like, moved around weird. Mm -hmm. She wasn't having it. And the man that Jean Butler was dating at the time, who was a retired University of Southern California professor and psychologist, suggested that Jeannie be made to watch episodes of the television series Lassie to show her that dogs are friendly. Yeah, just strap her down and... Make like clockwork like, orange her <laughs> yeah right make her watch it over and over and over again at the yeah. mental age of four yeah which is what my brother did to me oh explains a lot it um it does actually sometimes i hear nicole scream in the middle of the night send in the clowns and i don't ever know what it means and then i ask in the morning and she doesn't remember it i don't know you think the clowns are just waiting around for you to do their bidding yeah yeah, that would be pretty cool. Have, like, an army of clowns. Pretty sick, right? Yeah, no, I support them. Supposedly, Jeannie grew to tolerate dogs that were behind a fence, but she mm. still hated cats. Well, I mean. <laughs> Although this, I don't know, this just seems like a weird thing to me to try to force a child to like. Like, no, you will like a dog. Let yeah. it Let it go. Just, yeah, just let them not like that thing. Like, it's fine to be afraid of dogs. <laughs> right. Jean Butler kept a detailed journal on the progress she made with Jeannie. In it, she claimed that she had gotten Jeannie to stop attacking and hitting herself when she was angry or upset. Jean Butler also claims that she had taught Jeannie instead to express her anger through words or by hitting objects. She claimed that shortly after moving in with her, Jeannie had become noticeably more talkative and that she had made substantial progress with her language acquisition. But this seems sort of fake to me. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things, not to like be a little Debbie Doubter here, but a lot of things that this woman says seem very fake to me. The fa- the fact that she was like, well, she was with me. She did this and that uh-huh. and learned this. And 
Yeah. yeah. Like maybe she learned like a few new words, but there's also no actual proof of this claim. She's yeah. like, oh, she was so talkative. Like the girl that knows three words was super talkative. Right. <laughs> okay. It's literally just her word. Yeah. One thing that is a very big deal is that Jean Butler did potty train Jeannie. Hmm. She started out completely incontinent, but in a few short months, she was almost entirely continent. She only had like a few nighttime accidents, which is exciting. So go Jeannie. Yeah. Go girl. During Jeannie's stay, Jean Butler had the man that she was dating, which I couldn't find his name. So I'm just going to keep referring to him as the the man. man. The man in the hat. The man. And now I'm going to picture the man in the yellow hat from Curious George. Oh, that's nice. So Jean Butler had the man in the yellow hat that she was dating move in with her, believing that authorities would view her pending foster application more favorably if she offered a two-parent home. Throughout this time, Jeannie's mom, Irene, continued to visit Jeannie at Jean Butler's home after Irene received corrective cataract surgery, which restored most of her vision. Hmm. I said vision. But we're going to keep it in, and I'm going to say vision again, because it's eyesight, not vigilantism. Well, that's, I mean, that could just be your way of saying vision. Like, like how you I say, say contagion? contagion. Or potato? Vision. Vision? Vision, potato, and contagion. I need me glasses for me vision. <laughs> that's what it is. While I'm sitting in the contagion ward eating my potatoes. <laughs> yes. Now you all know my deep, dark secret. <laughs> Then Jean Butler told Irene that these visits were becoming too frequent. Wait, what? That's her mom, though. I know. And she was coming like twice a week. So like, settle down. She also told the researchers that had been visiting Jeannie that their visits were too frequent. (laughs) Okay. And then one day she said that this all became, quote, too overtaxing and, quote, overwhelming to Jeannie and that she didn't want them visiting at all. Well, tough tits, Jean Butler. It's mm. not your daughter. And, like, the, they need, they have every right to see her. Yeah. Well, do they? I think they do. So I, I, I would say, yeah, her mother. You yeah, know, I think, <laughs> her mother yeah, does. I'm pretty sure. Everyone else who's also re- researching her and a part of the Jeannie team. Yeah. Still can't think of a better name for that, but yeah. the Jeannie team. Jean Butler particularly disliked James Kent and Susan Curtis, who you'll remember from last episode. Mm-hmm. And she completely barred them from visiting during the second half of Jeannie's stay with her. Okay. She also supposedly had many disagreements with David Riggler. So basically, she was just feuding with all of Jeannie's original medical Jeannie teamy. Jeannie T. She was feuding with the Jeannie teamy. Mm-hmm. Got it. Butler's unwillingness to work with the researchers raised red flags. Yeah. Yeah, they thought Mm -hmm. that her intentions were good to begin with. And now they're like, hmm, maybe she didn't have rubella and she was just trying to weirdly kidnap this child. Maybe she's actually a psycho hose beast. What? No. And then the original research team thought that Butler was, quote, negatively affecting Jeannie's care and the case study. They strongly contested Butler's claims of pushing Jeannie too hard, contending that she enjoyed the tests and that she could take breaks at will. But both Susan Curtis and James Kent denied any claims that they were pushing her too hard. But it just became like a big ol' he said, she said moment. And it was really hard to overcome because no one no one could basically say definitively right. what Jeannie was feeling. Yeah, and it was her word against theirs and Mm -hmm. like her mom wasn't stepping in at all to be Mm -hmm. like 
I want my daughter back. No. She was just, like, doing her thing. She was just there, basically. I wonder what she was doing. I mean, she has her vision back. Like, so she got, like, really into ski ball. Because <laughs> now she can see the little holes that you throw the balls in. She's always wanted to try. <laughs> and now. Yeah. Now she finally had her opportunity. She's going to live her dream. And no one's going to hold her back. Ski ball champion of the U.S. Irene Wiley. (laughs) Several of the scientists, including Susan Curtis and Howard Hansen, claim to remember Jean Butler openly stating that she hoped that Jeannie would make her famous. Mm. And Curtis especially remembered Butler repeatedly proclaiming her intent to be, quote, the next Anne Sullivan, which I don't know who that is, but that's widely problematic. Yeah, I don't know who that is either. But that's also like, I, I don't even know who to believe. Are they even telling the truth? Did she even say that or? It's very hard to know. You know? Yeah. It's like, I don't, they all seem like assholes mm-hmm. to me. But in the middle of August 1971, the authorities officially rejected Jean Butler's application for foster custody. It's uncertain if the staff at the child's hospital influenced the decision, but according to David Riggler, Everyone involved was extremely surprised by the ruling. That they denied the custody? Yeah. Huh. Because they just let her live with her for so long. Right. And then all of a sudden we're like, no, we need her back. So they just sent her back to the hospital then where she was staying? Yeah, temporarily. Mm. Jean Butler believed the hospital had opposed her application so that Jeannie could be moved somewhere more conductive to research Mm -hmm. because, you know, she, like, barred everyone else from doing any research on Jeannie. Right. Well, maybe if she hadn't done that, they would have let her stay with her. Maybe. But. She wrote that upon being told of the decision, Jeannie was extremely upset and she said no, no, no over and over and over. It's important to note that the hospital had a rule written into their contracts that no employees may become primary guardians to any Mm, patients. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe someone was just like, all right, we're done with this, like humoring this woman. Right. And I mean, if that's, it's already there and it's like already Mm. in place, there's probably a reason why. And they're not just going to like break it for this one lady yeah but then they do break it for another person so hold tight really quick just before the courts denied gene butler's custody howard hansen suggested to david riggler that he and his wife take custody of Jeannie if the application proposed by gene butler was rejected Mm. david riggler said that he had to ask his wife before making any big life decisions which is, it's good. Do that, David. You should definitely do that. Before you bring a child home. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Uh David's wife, Marilyn, had a graduate training as a social worker, and she had just completed a graduate degree in human development. Oh, perfect. Yeah. She'd also previously worked in nursery schools and at something called the Head Start Program, which was like just a program for little babies. Okay. So she was like wildly like Yeah, she's ready. She knows what the hell she's doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Wrigglers had three small children of their own, which was seen as a positive and like it could only help Jeannie's development to be yeah. around people her other, own age, yeah, basically mental age. Right. Because now she's just hanging out with a bunch of adults. Yeah. Which is weird. And they're like weirdly putting like their emotions on her and like. <laughs> they're like zapping her to see if she reacts and shit. Yeah. They're like touching her with hot coals <laughs> and she's just like afraid of dogs, but they won't allow that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Wrigglers ultimately decided that since no one else would, they were willing to temporarily care for Jeannie until another suitable foster home became available, which is a really great way to go into this. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. we will do this for now, 
until you find a better situation. Yeah. So they didn't grant permanent no care to the, okay they were just, just kind of like a placeholder until yeah okay. david riggler acknowledged the arrangement would go against the guidelines that he had helped set up but ultimately the children's hospital and authorities decided that in the absence of any other adequate option they would consent to make the rigglers genie's temporary foster parents and fyi gene butler was fucking pissed yeah i would be too um not to like spoiler alert here, but this also happened 45 years ago. Um, Gene Butler comes back in a bad way. Oh no. Yeah. This is the Gene Butler origin story that this we just is, heard. This is where she becomes the fucking Joker. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The same day the genie went back to the hospital after leaving Butler's home, the Rigglers had Genie transferred to their home in Los Feliz, California. David Riggler said that he and his wife, Marilyn, initially intended for the arrangement to only last a maximum of three months, but ultimately, Jeannie stayed with them for almost four years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Marilyn became Jeannie's primary teacher, and David Riggler decided to take over the role of Jeannie's primary therapist from James Kent. The research team immediately resumed observations and evaluations, which was perfectly fine by the Rigglers because they thought it would do nothing but help Jeannie. So this was all taking place... Would they come to the house and do it, or mm-hmm. were they bringing her back? Okay, so she was in like a comfortable. Yeah, like, yeah. They would take zone. her back for like certain things that like they needed they equipment do. for, but like for general observations. The yeah, they just like it's hang like out the perfect in situation, her home. I feel like right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And like the Rigglers seemed super set up for this. Oh, totally. Yeah. David and Marilyn Riggler remained Jeannie's primary caretakers throughout this time, but with the consent of Jeannie's mother and her psychologists. Mm. Which is very important. Yeah. While Jeannie lived with the Rigglers, her mother usually met with her about once a week at a park or a restaurant, and the relationship continued to grow stronger. She said she didn't like going to the Rigglers' home because she thought that this would confuse Jeannie. Oh, okay. I don't know, man. Her mom? Her mom seems like a, I don't know. I wish I knew more about her. Yeah. Like, what was going on. Right. But maybe she didn't want to be her mom. I mean, they didn't really have a relationship as it like mm-hmm. as it was. So yeah, maybe they were slowly trying to build something. I don't know. Maybe like going on coffee dates. <laughs> yeah, what I would do right ice cream, coffee in the park. Yeah, whatever. Irene also claimed that the Rigglers were condescending towards her, but the Rigglers claimed that they always tried to be professional and kind. In an interview years later, Marilyn said that she was uncomfortable acting like a mother to Jeannie while Jeannie was in the house with, like, her real mom. So she probably liked it that she went, like, out of the house, too. Right. I mean, it it was probably uncomfortable for both of them. And that's probably why Jeannie's mom didn't want to go to their house because it's like, okay, you're housing and taking care of my daughter. And now Uh I'm here and technically I'm her mom, Mm -hmm. but, like... I haven't fulfilled that role ever in her life. Yeah. So. But you are, and, like, Jeannie thinks, like, you're her mom, kind of. Yeah. I get it. I get both sides of it, for sure. for sure. It is weird. Jeannie's mother did not get along well with any of the researchers, and some of them just openly disliked her due to her apathy during Jeannie's childhood. Well, I mean, I you can't blame them there either. Yeah, it, it seems a little unfair to me because, I mean, she was basically blind. Yeah. And, like, her husband was abusive. So, like, who knows how much she had control over. And she did get Jeannie out when she could. She could have freaking left, though. 
How many times could that woman have left? That's true. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, I don't, whatever. I, I think she was in an abusive situation and that was rough, but Mm -hmm. I would probably have the same thoughts as the research team. Yeah. No, I'd probably like kill a person that like tried to abuse my child. Yeah. Not to be like melodramatic or anything, but I I probably most mothers probably would. Yeah. Yeah, even if I was blind, I just like wildly swing. I just spin in a circle with my arms out. Oh my god, Nicole Tornado. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of weird beef between Irene and the researchers. There was also speculation that Jeannie's mother gave them the cold shoulder because they reminded her of her early inaction on behalf of her children. Mm. And David Riggler also thought that she was sort of in denial about Jeannie's condition. And that she had a hand in causing it. Oh, yeah. Wasn't she like, oh, she's normal. She's completely fine. Yeah. We talked about that last episode. Right. Where she's like, Jeannie's just a normal girl. But like, um. Yeah. So there's clearly a couple of screws loose in Yeah. The, like she can't walk. She hops. <laughs> so. <laughs> she also can't speak and she's 14. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Also, she weighs 60 pounds and she's 14. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Susan Curtis wrote that Jeannie's mother gave conflicting statements about her married life and Jeannie's childhood, seemingly saying what she thought people wanted her to hear at the time, which the research team believed was just out of fear of telling the whole truth because maybe she was, like, complicit in what was happening. Yeah. I mean, if the dad... I mean, the dad was no longer there and John's out of the picture, so it's basically just her word. Uh Uh-huh. So she can say whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah. Oh, and she did. Yeah. Jean Butler, that sneaky-ass little snake, (laughs) married the man in the yellow hat that she was dating and started going by her married name, Jean, I'm going to say Rooch. It's R-U-C-H. Rooch, yeah. Rooch. Rooch. Some say Rooch, some say Rooch. It's a real... It's a real contagion contagion issue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She stayed in touch with Jeannie's mom, and she met with her quite often. Although Jeannie's mom later recalled that most of their conversations during this time were very shallow in nature, she did say that they became actual friends. While Jeannie was staying with the Wrigglers, Jean Rooch persistently accused researchers of conducting harmful tests, deliberately forcing Jeannie's mother out of her life, and misusing the available grant money, all of which the research team consistently denied. Jeannie's mother steadily began listening more and more to Jean Rooch, and eventually came to feel that the research team was marginalizing her. Oh, so mm-hmm. she's getting inside her head. Totally. Okay. Like manipulating her. Mm-hmm. Without any obvious cause, Jeannie's incontinence immediately resurfaced, and this was especially severe for the first few weeks after she moved in with the Wrigglers, but persisted at a lower level for several months. In direct contrast with Jean Rucha's writings, the Wrigglers observed Jeannie still acting out her anger and self-harm and noted that certain situations in particular, such as, like, spilling her favorite container of liquid... Oh, no, her vodka. Yeah. (laughs) uh, ...would make her go into, like, full tantrum mode. Doctors attributed her having been beaten for these actions as a child. Like, if she did something bad, her dad would beat her. So if she did something bad, she would beat herself. Oh. Yeah. They also wrote that Jeannie was still extremely frightened, especially of their dog. Oh, my God. They had a dog? They did. That poor child. And upon seeing it for the first time, she hid and ran. Well, yeah. 
The research team recorded her speech being much more halting and hesitant than Jean Rooch had described also. So this goes back to me just believing that Jean Rooch, or Jean Butler at the time, Mm -hmm. was just fucking lying to make it seem like Jeannie was doing really, really well with her. Right. She wanted to keep her, and she was like, oh my gosh, she talks now. She's like barely afraid of dogs. Yeah, like she's not incontinent, and Jeannie's just like totally, completely Covered in piss. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's what's in her bottles. Oh. Gross. Well... David Riggler noted that Jeannie very rarely spoke and that for the first three months of her stay, she almost always used one-word utterances. But remember, Jean Butler said she was extremely talkative and, like, basically had conversations with her. Right. Yeah. Unless she was frightened, both her speech and behavior exhibited a great deal of delay, often by several minutes. She also continued to have difficulty controlling her impulses, frequently engaging in very highly antisocial and destructive behavior. So, yeah, it just seems to me like Jean Rooch was fucking lying. Yeah. Shortly after Jeannie moved in, Marilyn taught her to direct her frustrations outward by generally just, like, having a fit instead of harming herself. Mm. So it's better to punch a pillow or to scream than it is to, like, scratch yourself. Mm, Okay. Jeannie loved being complimented, which is so cute. She loved being given praise, and she especially loved being told that she was beautiful or pretty. She was a very cute kid, though. Adorable. I mean, she was extremely cute Mm -hmm. in the pictures, like, then when they're doing tests, like... Yeah. She's super cute. I know. So Marilyn began to paint Jeannie's fingernails and told her that she did not look pretty when she scratched herself. Oh, okay. When situations came up which especially upset Jeannie, Marilyn tried to verbally de-escalate her, and this worked wonders. Jeannie began to process her emotions and gain control over her reactions. She was more likely to verbally express frustration, although she never entirely stopped having her tantrums or engaging in like self-harm, like scratching herself or mm-hmm. slapping herself. On occasion, she could indicate her level of anger, depending on whether she was angry or merely frustrated, She either vigorously shook one finger or loosely waved her hand. So she's giving, like, she's getting these tools to sort of, like, show people what she's feeling without having to verbalize it. Yeah. And she's still communicating, just not with words. Yeah, exactly. So, like, if she's really frustrated, she'd, like, violently shake one finger. But if she was just, like, kind of upset, she'd, like, hang, like, hang loose it, you know? (laughs) Whatever. The Wrigglers, like Jean Roots, were determined to help Jeannie get over her fear of animals, which I don't know why this is so fucking important to these people. Yeah. Like, just let her be afraid of something. Yeah, she's it's afraid okay. of dogs. She had a pretty, like, pretty rough life. She can be afraid of a cat. Yeah. Let, let her have this one. Yeah, you let Jeannie have this. <laughs> but instead, the Wrigglers bought her a puppy, mm. which she was terrified of. No shit. Mm-hmm. But after about two weeks, she began to seek the attention of the puppy. And they, like, played... And, like, she pet the puppy. And, like, it was really cute. She never got over her fear of strange cats and dogs, though. But she did love her puppy. I also looked really hard for the puppy's name. And I couldn't find it. But in my head, I call it Wiggles the Puppy. Wiggles the Puppy. Uh Uh-huh. Oh. Marilyn worked with Jeannie to help overcome her ongoing difficulty with chewing and swallowing. If you'll remember last episode, Jeannie just basically didn't know how to swallow anything. Yeah. The strangest thing was that Marilyn noted that Jeannie disliked going to the effort of chewing 
and therefore preferred softer food whenever possible. And didn't you say she would like mash it in her hand mm-hmm. too if it was too? Yeah, like she'd take like a fully cooked potato. Sorry, potato. <laughs> she would take like a fully cooked potato and she would mash it in her hand to make mashed potatoes and then mm. she would eat them that way. Mm. Yeah. After about four months of working with Jeannie several times a day, she was able to get Jeannie to accept solid foods. She also tried to help Jeannie become more attuned to her body's sensations. Okay. And in the late, I know it's a really weird way to say that. I don't want to write. I don't know why I wrote that. But listen, in the late in late 1973, she recorded the the first instance of Jeannie showing sensitivity to temperature. Mm. which we talked about last episode too, that they like burned her and like yeah. put cold stuff on her. And she like didn't care. She didn't have a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So they thought this was a wild success and this somehow showed that her physical health had made leaps and bounds in the right direction. At the beginning of her stay, Jeannie never listened if directly addressed in an effort to get Jeannie to listen to other people. Susan Curtis began reading her, began reading children's stories to her At first, she seemed like she didn't want to engage, but it was noted that in October of 1971, Susan saw Jeannie was clearly listening and responding to her stories. After that, she paid attention to people when they were speaking to her or not. Just, like, just listen to people. Like, she'd eavesdrop on people's conversations and be Mm. like, did you fucking hear what Brenda said? That bitch, Jean. That fucking bitch, Jean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but she listened to people, which was, like, completely, like, a 180 from where she had been. Mm -hmm. She had become somewhat more sociable with her interactions with people, and she had become more responsive. Although she still frequently showed no obvious signs that she heard someone when they would call her name. Maybe she was, like, selectively deaf. Mm. After living with the Wrigglers for several months, Jeannie's social skills and behavior improved so greatly that she started going to a nursery school. And then eventually, she was transferred to a school for mentally challenged children, which warms my fucking heart, dude. Yum. The Wrigglers also taught her some basic skills, such as sweeping or making bowls of cereal. Delicious. And some skills that I just feel like are completely unnecessary, like they taught her how to iron clothing. Sounds dangerous. use a sewing machine. Sounds even more dangerous. So fucking dangerous. But... (laughs) I'm not a doctor. So they're like, what's some woman's work she can learn? Ah, yes. A scalding hot iron. Mm, I, a 31-year-old woman who was not abused as a child, am terrified of putting an iron away even a little bit warm and it like burning the house down. Oh, yeah. So I can't imagine teaching Jeannie how to use a fucking iron. Right. Yeah. Jeannie also stopped masturbating in public. Oh, good for her. Yeah. And the Wrigglers think that she stopped masturbating at all, which is a really positive step. Go, Jeannie. Maybe that means that she got over, like, her sexual abuse. Yeah. Maybe? Hopefully. Yeah? Yeah. In February of 1973, Susan Curtis recorded for the first time that Jeannie had shared something with her. And while she continued to take things from other people... Her reactions when she, when other people saw her doing it so clearly indicated that she knew she was not supposed to. Mm. So she was learning, like, social norms and societal expectations, mm-hmm. even just a little bit. She also seemed to show joy for the first time. In June of 1975, her research team wrote that, quote, While overall 
While her overall demeanor and interactions with others had significantly improved, many aspects of her behavior remained characteristic of an unsocialized person. The research team considered her language acquisition to be a substantial part of their larger goal of helping her integrate herself into society. Her speech and vocabulary began to expand, and by the middle of 1975, she could accurately name most objects she encountered in her home. Oh, so she was talking. Yeah, she was saying, like, chair, or dog, or whatever. Wiggle puppy, whatever. She wasn't able to hold conversations, but she was able to speak in short utterances and started using very, very basic grammar. Her conversational competence had improved during her stay, but it still remained very low, which was just not like a surprise to any of the researchers. Mm -hmm. They were thrilled every time she learned a new word. Mm -hmm. Jeannie was unable to develop a sense of self when it came to pronouns. (laughs) (laughs) What? Pronouns. Like the South just came out of you. What's happening? (laughs) Oh, no. What? I've never said it like that in my entire fucking life. <laughs> you literally just got a southern accent somehow. I kind of like it. Your characters are forcing themselves out of you now during these episodes. You don't even have to call them up. They just like come out whenever they want. What if I'm developing split personality disorder? <laughs> I hope you are. And I'm actually full of like a German man and like a southern woman. Like, I am all these people. In a people. little kid. Yeah. It's exactly like, this is the, the plot split. of Split. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. Split, basically. I am Split. And you um, have to, like, dress like each one. Yeah. Like, what is it? Patricia? That's the best one. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's Patricia. And then one day, I'm going to turn into the beast and, like, crawl on the Fuck. ceiling somehow. I'm going to have to, like, I won't know you. what's coming, but <laughs> Patricia is trying to hold it down. So, that's okay. all you need to know. Okay. Noted. Yeah. Fuck. I don't even think I can replicate the word that I just said. <laughs> Pronouns. <laughs> Jesus fuck. Okay, ready? Okay. Game face. Jeannie was unable to develop a sense of self when it came to pronouns, consistently confusing you and me. Like she would say things like, you give you. Mm. But she meant, I'll give you this. But honestly, she's doing so fucking good. Like, yeah. in my opinion, if she doesn't know the difference between you and me, but she can point to you and me, mm-hmm. that's a win. Total. Yeah. Total win. Susan Curtis taught Jeannie what she called ritual phrases, such as, may I have blank, which she believed would teach Jeannie that she would be rewarded when taking an activity, when taking an active role in performative acts. So the example I read was like, may I have a quarter? Mm-hmm. And then she would give her a quarter, and because Jeannie asked for something and she got something, it would, like, trigger that, like, reward sensation of, like, oh, when I say this, I get something. Yeah, like, I did a good job yeah. by saying that. Mm-hmm. Her voice was extremely high-pitched and very soft during the beginning of her stay with the Wrigglers, but gradually became louder and lower in pitch. Researchers think that this allowed Jeannie to pronounce words more properly. She also began to understand complex phrases, even though she could not speak them. Jeannie was able to recall past events in her life through broken speech, um, which you read last episode about, like, her dad. Like, dad Mm -hmm. hit, Jeannie cry. cry, Mm -hmm. She also seemed to understand the concept of death, 
which the researchers kind of like fuck upedly used her dad as an example. Like, like your dad can't hit you anymore. He's dead. So she would say dad is dead all the time. Dad is dead. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Which is kind of wild. Yeah, that is. But she got the concept of death. Wow. She also began using drawings to communicate her wants. In addition to her own drawings, she would use pictures from magazines to relate to daily experiences. Especially if something scared her, she would be adamant that someone look at a picture of what was scaring her. In 1972, Marilyn observed that a magazine picture of a wolf sent Jeannie into a full tantrum. After which, the Wrigglers asked Jeannie's mother if she knew the possible cause for this reaction. And then Irene was like, oh yeah, uh, I forgot to tell you over the last eight years. My husband used to act like a dog to intimidate Jeannie. Yeah. And all of the scientists were like, oh. That information would have been great for us to know four fucking years ago when we started this research, Irene. When we bought her a fucking puppy. (laughs) Right. Like, come the fuck on. We bought her a puppy. We literally forced her to like dogs. You not knowing then. the trauma. God. Yeah. Isn't that fucking ridiculous? That's wild. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying with her mom. Like, yeah, I get she was also a victim, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not taking that away from her. But her mom was like... The worst. Come on, lady. Like, come on. Yeah, dude, she fucking sucked. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, in the fall of 1971, Susan Curtis and the Genie team, which we still don't have a better name for but i'm thinking okay <laughs> well we have till the end of this episode you got some time so they continued to perform dichotic listening tests to genie until 1973 their tests confirmed what ursula and edward discovered which was that genie was acquiring language in the right hemisphere of her brain They believed abnormal neurological activity in her left hemisphere blocked all language reception in her right ear, but did not affect non-language sounds. So linguists continued to perform many brain exams on Jeannie geared towards measuring her brain comprehension. On one particular test, Jeannie had no issues identifying the correct meaning of sentences containing homophones or words that are pronounced the same but have different meanings. So, like, rose the flower and rose to get up. So, Jeannie had no issue identifying between the two of those. She even knew there, there, and there. So, she's, like, worlds ahead of a lot of people that I know. Potato, potato. She. (laughs) Pronoun, pronoun. Vision. What, what did you say? Vision. Vision. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fucking know, man. So this showed researchers that her receptive comprehension was better than her expressive language, which I think we've all seen that just based on what we know and how she was communicating, but she really wasn't communicating with words. And she was especially good at identifying rhymes. During the tests performed, the EEG consistently picked up more activity in the right hemisphere of her brain, which basically just solidified their hypothesis that Jeannie was using her right hemisphere to acquire language. That's so cool. Tests to measure Jeannie's mental age were continuously performed during her study through a variety of measures. Jeannie scored differently with each test. 
She measured higher on tests that did not require language, like the lighter scale, and then lower on tests that had a language component. Oh, well, that makes total sense. Which, yeah, also makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, she couldn't really speak very well. In 1972, Jeannie scored between the level of an eight-year-old and an adult on all right hemisphere tasks that were tested. She was very good at piecing together objects by touch, and she scored very high on the spatial awareness test. Cool. Jeannie's scores on tests involving her right hemisphere tasks were exponentially better than other people in equal phases of mental development. So let's say they pegged her at a mental age of five. Jeannie was scoring way above the levels of her estimated mental age in all of her right hemisphere tasks that they tested her on. Because of these tests, scientists were led to believe Jeannie's right brain was the dominant side. So you know how we were talking about left-brained and right-brained. She was definitely a right-brained person. Does that mean that she's more likely to be left-handed? She was right-handed. Oh. They determined. Or That's the, so, in, in, so... So are we all like that? Like, we're all, like, either right brain or left brain? I think, for the most part, a lot of people are both. Well, oh. here, let me go into it. Okay, I actually, I'm sorry. So I looked up the difference between left and right brain. Okay. And Jeannie being more right brain dominant actually makes sense. So the left brain is the more verbal and analytical side. Okay. And it's often referred to as the digital brain. And if you are left brained, you tend to be better at things like reading and writing and computations. The right brain is more visual and intuitive. And it's often referred to as the analog brain. It has a more creative way of thinking, and it's less organized, so it makes sense that Jeannie was le- leaning heavily on her right brain function. I I am a right brain person. I'm yeah. wildly disorganized and creative. I think for the most part, people tend to, I mean, we use both mm-hmm. sides, but obviously there's going to be one side that you mm-hmm. are a little bit more dominant in. Which one are you, do you think? I don't know. I would say probably right. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Although the Virgo rising in me wants to be left. I am a Virgo moon. <laughs> but yeah, I I think I tr- I would like to think of myself as left, but when it really comes down to it, I'm a right right brainer for sure. I like it. Definitely not organized. Join me in the mess and the filth of the world. <laughs> so they believed Jeannie was right brained due to her very little cognitive simulation she had growing up. Everything she knew was all visual, and the only stimulation she had was by touch when she was allowed the occasional leftover food container (gasps) or old spool of thread. Dude, break my fucking heart. I know. So because of this lateralization, meaning she was largely under the control of her right brain, the extreme imbalance of stimulation on her left hemisphere caused her right to be extraordinarily developed okay so she was like super strong on the right mm-hmm. and very weak on the very left where weak most people are left. more even yes okay in all tests measuring her left hemisphere tasks Jeannie performed poorly by two years after the first examination on her mental age Jeannie's scores on the left hemisphere were in the 2.5 to three years old range and she only showed improvement of 1.5 years oh. In all left hemisphere tests, she scored below average, 
and Jeannie did not start to count until late 1972, and she was never very good at it. Well, that's what calculators are for. Yeah. Also, so two years, so they were doing this for two years, and she improved by one and a half years. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So she was improving. It's yeah. just that all of her right-sided tasks, yeah. she was just, like, way better at. Yeah, that makes sense. So although Jeannie typically rocked every right hemisphere test, on one memory for design test, she scored borderline in October of 1975. But the mistakes she made were not the same as patients with brain damage. And Susan Curtis wrote that she scored lower on tasks that required both her left and her right hemisphere. So, like, memory. Okay. So, stuff, she always scored badly with memory because that required both sides of her brain. Oh. Any task that required the use of both would be very difficult for Jeannie as she exclusively used her right hemisphere. Wow. By studying Jeannie, researchers discovered Jeannie demonstrated that language is different from thought. Susan Curtis explained it like this. So she said, for many of us, our thoughts are verbally encoded. For Jeannie, her thoughts were virtually never verbally encoded Mm. because she never learned how to talk. But there are many ways to think. So if she's thinking of, I don't know, if we think of... It's like the Apple test. Like, mm -hmm. like... I want all everyone listening to do this right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Picture an apple, and what do you see? Some people will see the word apple. Yeah. Some people will see a red apple. Some people will see an apple tree. It all depends on just where How your brain you goes. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a green apple, by the way. Did you? I always see a red one. I saw a green one. Which is like the grossest of all the apples <laughs> is the red ones. Those are good. They're fine. So Who would Jeannie, win in a fight, a green apple or a red apple? Uh, I would have to say green because they're sour, you know? It's a green one yeah. all day. Granny totally Smith, green. she's got nothing to lose. Granny Smith, don't The fuck Michael with Keaton her. of apples. Don't fuck with her. So Jeannie's case helped the team establish that there is a point beyond which total language fluency is impossible if the subject does not already speak one language fluently. Oh, so it's sort of like proved basically what they were trying to prove mm-hmm. i bet it was super hard to do tests on her though because she just because she didn't yeah, yeah didn't talk and really couldn't understand fucking anything yeah yeah in 1976 susan curtis finished and presented her dissertation titled genie colon <laughs> a psycholinguistic study of the modern day quote wild child mm. and the academic press published it the following year before the release of the dissertation, Jeannie's mother had reportedly thought of Jeannie and Curtis as just friends to show just, like, how fucking oblivious this woman was. Yeah, it's not like she's her fucking a scientist researching your daughter. She's yeah. just a friend. They're just friends. Mm-hmm. She's, well. But in early 1978, she wrote that she was very offended at the title and that some of the contents of her dissertation. Okay, well, you don't get to be offended, okay, Irene? You don't. Sit down, Irene. You don't. She decided to sue a children's hospital, her therapists, their supervisors, and several of the researchers, including, but not limited to, <laughs> Susan Curtis, David Riggler, James Kent, and Howard Hansen. She disputed some of the details in Susan Curtis's dissertation of her husband's treatment of the family during Jeannie's childhood, but her official complaint did not state any of this. Instead, she claimed a violation of patient confidentiality, and accused the research team of giving testing priority 
over Jeannie's welfare, invading Jeannie's privacy, and severely overworking Jeannie. Okay, well, she had no problem with that when it was actually happening. It was just now after there was a published piece on her daughter that she has an issue. You're going to see why in a minute. The media went wild with this story, and the research team was shocked when they found out. Because they found out through the media before... They found oh. out from an actual lawsuit. Oh. All okay. of the scientists named in the suit were adamant that they never coerced Jeannie. They maintained that Jeannie's mother and her lawyers grossly exaggerated the length and nature of their testing, and they denied any breach of confidentiality. David Riggler was giving his deposition when he discovered that Jean Root had encouraged Jeannie's mother to sue the mm, hospital. It all comes back. Later, Jeannie's mother confirmed that Jean Root heavily influenced her actions throughout the lawsuit. The case was eventually settled in 1984 out of court. Susan Curtis said that in late December of 1977, she had been asked if she could be Jeannie's legal guardian, but that after she met Jeannie on January 3rd of 19. 19- 78, Jeannie's mother suddenly stopped allowing her and the rest of the research team to see Jeannie, immediately ending all testing. Hmm. In early 1978, after Jeannie turned 18, it was discovered that Jeannie's legal guardian, John... Why am I saying words weird? (laughs) Keep it in. John Minor, who, if you'll remember, was Jeannie's mom's lawyer. Oh, weird. Um, So he had been given, like, legal... And, like, financial guardianship over her. He had failed to update his status as Jeannie's legal guardian as a minor to that of her legal guardian as an adult incapable of caring for herself. So he was supposed to do that, like, before she turned 18. So now she's just an adult? Yes. And because he forgot to do that. Yeah. And without consulting John Minor, on March 30th, 1978, authorities officially transferred guardianship to her mother, Irene who subsequently forbade all of the scientists, except Jay Shirley, Hmm. from seeing her or Jeannie. I wonder why, except him. I don't know. Maybe she didn't think he liked that. She's like, this guy's a beta. She said he's cute. Yeah. (laughs) And that sneaky-ass little bitch, Jean Roach, remained in contact with Jeannie and her mother. She supposedly continued to spread negative rumors about Jeannie's condition, especially targeting Susan Curtis, until 1986, when a stroke left Jean Root with asphasia, which is basically like memory loss. Oh, okay. Jean Root died in 1988 following another stroke. In January of 1978 until early, the early 1990s, Jean moved through a series of at least four additional foster homes and institutions, some of which subjected her to extreme physical abuse and harassment. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Again? Yeah, dude. Because that's what happens when you put people in homes and then you don't check up on them. Literally, all of this could have been avoided if her mom didn't sue and then take the advice of Jean Rooch. Jay Shirley saw Jeannie at her 27th birthday party in 1984 and then again two years later. In an interview years later, he said that both times she seemed extremely depressed and almost entirely uncommunicative. In 1992, Susan Curtis stated that the only two updates that she had heard on Jeannie indicated that she barely spoke and was depressed and completely withdrawn. So she just, like, completely... Yeah, because she was being She's completely reverted back. Exactly. All of the work that they Mm -hmm. did. 
The New Yorker published a two-part magazine article on Jeannie in April of that year, and the author wrote that she lived in an institution and only saw her mother one weekend every month. Wow. In November of 1993, a journalist spoke with Jeannie's mother, who had since gone blind again due to glaucoma, that at the time she told Jeannie that she had recently moved into a more supportive foster home which permitted regular visits, and and said that Jeannie was happy, and although she was hard to understand, she was significantly more verbal, which I don't, I just don't believe. Yeah, so her mom took her away from the people who were actually Uh doing good, and then she went into a foster home. Mm -hmm. She she still wouldn't even take care of her own freaking daughter. And it's because this fucking Jean Butler bitch was like, if you can't have, if I can't have Jeannie, nobody can. Wow. And then she convinced her mom to fucking sue all of these people that were genuinely helping her. Because she wasn't awarded custody. And then, so they took her out and they just put her in a foster. Like, I don't understand why this, her mom even. Because her mom is fucking dumb, dude. Because she didn't care. Probably. Yeah. Because she she took her out and then she didn't even want her still. She Mm -hmm. put her back in a a different foster home. So, like, what's the point? Well, in late 1993, supposedly Jeannie had been in contact with Marilyn Riggler, who was also in contact with Jeannie's mother. Marilyn Riggler stated that Jeannie had immediately recognized her and greeted both her and David by name. I know. As of 2016, Jeannie is a ward of the state of California. She's living in an undisclosed location in Los Angeles. And it's reported that Jeannie's mother died of natural causes at the age of 87 in 2003. In 2016, a story by The Guardian reported that Jeannie still lived in state care and that her brother died in 2011. The article said that despite repeated efforts, Susan Curtis had been unable to renew contact with Jeannie. It's been widely debated whether the researchers in Jeannie's living situation was a matter of ethics. Yeah. Yeah. That's a rough one. It is. Um, But there it is. Jeannie, the feral girl. There's a small dog running around. And there's a feral dog running around. And we haven't heard the snorting in the last part of that. We're going to allow it because it's fucking adorable. She's playing with a hair tie right now. She's being very good. Um, She's adorable. She's she's the assistant. She can do what she wants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So do they know where Jeannie is now? Um, It's they just, say it's just undisclosed. Just yeah. So somewhere. I found a picture of her from like the early 2010s. I'll post mm-hmm. it okay. on Instagram. But otherwise, she's just kind of like living out her life in some sort of institution. In some home somewhere. Yep. And nobody knows, basically. Well, I hope she's... I hope she's doing okay out there. Yeah. I hope she's at least playing with, like, small pails that make her feel happy. No. Something nice. Bottles of water bottles full of vodka. Oh, just whatever liquid she wants. Whatever liquid she wants. She deserves any liquid in any amount that she would like. (laughs) All right. So this week, we have a listener mail from Ryan. And he says, first off, and he has a lot of stories, too, so we might revisit some of his stories but this was my favorite one for reasons you'll you'll probably understand so he says first off love you guys love you guy love you keep up the great work your podcast is awesome thoroughly researched fun speculation and theories and believe it or not your banter is actually somewhat soothing to me in a weird way (laughs) okay thank you so thank you yeah Okay, I'm glad. Y'all are about my age and seem like a couple of cool dudettes. 
Oh, stop. You're right. We are only 25. (laughs) I just listened to the Doppelgangers episode, and the listener lore reminded me of a few occurrences in my life that I thought I might share. Not trying to get on your show, just sharing the weirdness for sharing weirdness's sake. Well, surprise, you're on the show, babe. You're on the show. Here are a few accounts of high strangeness in my life. Chronologically. There are two possible nothing burgers, which I love that nothing yeah. burgers. But in case there's, so, but in case they're somehow related, I thought they were worth mentioning. The others are fucking significant, in my humble opinion. There is a video of a sighting and three photos of my scoop mark. She's <gasps> pretty weird. Yes, scooped. I think it'll tickle your unusuals. Oh my god, tickle your unusuals. Sorry if this is super long, but I think it's peculiar enough to hold your attention. Okay, so this is just one of the stories. Okay. And this story, actually, he has a video mm-hmm. that he sent, and I watched it. Okay. And it's super freaking cool. Okay, so I want to watch it. This is May 2013, West Islip, Long Island. And he goes, if you were to tell someone that you saw a UFO while tripping on mushrooms, you'd be laughed at for obvious reasons. Mm. Here's the thing, though. I have video proof. He totally does. I was renting a four-bedroom house with some dudes, and two of my three roommates and another friend, four of us total, decided to make mushroom tea. That was a lot of math. That was a lot of math. (laughs) Me being me and having never had tea before, I doubted its potency and actually ate the sopping wet goopy mushroom pulp. (gasps) Gross. We ended up walking to a park next to an elementary school and being on mushrooms ended up on the roof of the elementary school. Of course. We smoked a blunt, fucked around, enjoyed each other's company. And what do you think we saw in the sky? Another star-like object moving erratically with the burst, then slow down, aquatic movements. Wow. I told my friends about my previous two experiences and jokingly wrote, Hi, aliens, with my finger in the condensation on on the large metal AC units facing the sky. Wow. When we decided to leave, we walked all the way around to the other side of the school where we climbed up, passing the tall wall of the gym, rounding the corner, stepping over ledges, etc., When we got to the edge of the building, I remembered that I put a blunt down and needed to run back and get it. All I said was, I forgot the blunt. And I turned around, not realizing that they had all decided to follow me silently. Oh, cool. When I rounded the corner of the gym building, I saw a sparkler in front of me to my left coming down downwards and towards us and then veering off to the right while leveling out so it was parallel to the ground. (gasps) There were no longer flames or sparkles coming off of it, but a trail of fire like a meteor. Oh my god, I got goosebumps. Only the flames were moving weirdly slow, and almost looking like it was circling back to the front of the craft, like a bike chain. Then the tail of the fire turned off like how a gas stove turns off. I heard a hissing or fizzing sound. It wasn't loud, but at the same time, it sounded close for some reason. It then went dim for a split second, lit back up for a split second, and then it was gone. Wow. My friends said they saw it took off, but this might have happened so fast that I didn't see it. At this point, we're all in complete shock. I'm hyperventilating and start crying a little. Oh. This can be heard in the video. It's embarrassing. Oh, I would cry too. (laughs) And so are my friends. Not a minute later, mind you, this is about 4.35 a.m., A taxi pulls over in front of the school, only about 30 feet from us. 
The driver opens the trunk, is doing something in the trunk for a minute, and then drives off. Probably unrelated, but weird enough to be notable. That is for sure related. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That's a men in black. Oh, good call. When we all got home, we whipped out the colored pencils and drew pictures of what we saw. (gasps) We all basically drew the same thing. A craft that was shaped like a chubby heart or a three-dimensional guitar pick or an armless male torso mannequin. Nice, dude. (laughs) Wider at the top than the bottom. Rounded, but also somewhat triangular. We all agreed that it seemed really small and really close, give or take the size of a Fiat or smart car, and maybe 300 feet away. We smoked another blunt, and that was that. Wow. That's an amazing story. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. I wonder... I want to watch the video. I know. I wonder if he'll give us permission to like post it on our stories. Yeah, for sure. We'll so, ask him. Ryan, if you're listening... Um, let us know if we can post that video because you can definitely see something in the sky. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's, it's like one of those videos where you see something, and you whip out your phone really quick, and mm-hmm. you like don't catch all of it, but there is something there. That's amazing. So thank you so much for writing into us, Ryan. And if any anyone else has any stories, I don't know UFO stories, Bigfoot stories. I don't think we've gotten a Bigfoot story. Shit, maybe you just left your blunt somewhere, and you have a cool story about <laughs> running back, and then you saw like a really nice rock, and then a man pulled up in a taxi, and you were like, "What?" I mean, yeah, we'll we'll take them all. If you have a quite unusual story, you can send it to quite unusual pod at gmail dot com. And maybe we'll read it on the show. Yeah. Or if you want to handwrite it to us, um, <laughs> which some people have done, which is very fun. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to send that to us um, via snail mail, we do have a P.O. Box. It's P.O. Box 1212 in Des Plaines, Illinois, 60017. And if you guys like us, feel free to give us a review. Yeah. You can review on Spotify now, too. So yeah. We haven't gotten a new review in like 10 days when I'm crying yeah. inside. So... Yeah. Also, uh, if you really, really like us and you want to throw some dollar bills at us, like stick a five in our thong, whatever you got going on, um, you can check us out on Patreon. We are on patreon.com at Quite Unusual Pod. And we actually have a new patron to welcome. Mm. So welcome to the coven, Kelly M. Welcome. Welcome. And as always, remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. Bye. And this is the part of the show where we give praise for the all-knowing leaders, the supporters of the podcast, and all-around benevolent beings. Spencer W. Spencer is writing a new movie called House of 1001 Dalmatian Corpses. Oh. It's all about 1001 Dalmatians that rise from the dead to seek revenge against Cruella de Vil. Sounds promising. Honestly, I would watch that. I'd definitely I would watch fully that. watch that. Mm, yes. Like, not being ironic right now. Mm. Mm. To Tim M., who went on Match.com to try to meet the love of his life, ended up matching with who he thought was Will Smith. Ooh. Turns out it was a gray alien dressed like Will Smith from Men in Black, which, yeah, that's confusing, but now they're going on vacation together, so this also seems promising. Well, I wish you two the best of luck. As do I. Savannah L., member of the Wasabi and Horror Book Club. The club meets once monthly to discuss horror novels and eat wasabi peas. Ooh, sounds spicy. Delicious. To Dylan B., who is terribly afraid of bats. Unfortunately, he is a vampire, Mm. and he literally just has to walk everywhere instead of flying. 
I know you can get over your fear, Dylan. I believe in you. We believe in you. Lauren R., we thought Lauren had been missing for several weeks. We did. But it turns out she was just on an intergalactic trip with Yoda, our favorite Amish traveler. Oh! Say hi to Mothman for us. Hi, Mothman. Hi, Yoda. We miss you, Lauren. To Kaylee O., who has been making an awful lot of ginseng tea lately. Mm. You you wouldn't be poaching this ginseng, would you, Kaylee? Are you a ginseng poacher? I don't know. Jess H., one time Jess physically fought the Michigan dog man. It was more like a wrestle, and it ended in a game of fetch, but she's still claiming that victory. I think she deserves it. She does. Yes. To Evan Kay, who was made entirely of dark matter. He, he just asked us to tell everyone because he thinks it's cool. Oh, yeah. well, noted. It is It is cool. Yes. I, I don't know. KTT, every time Katie wants to go on vacation, she simply waits out in a field to get abducted by aliens, travels around, and then gets dropped off at home. Sure, there is some light probing, but... It's a free vacation. No, yeah, I mean, I'd put up with I'll that. I'll do the same. For sure. For sure. Adam Kay, who has been trying to get abducted by aliens for months with no luck. Maybe Katie can share some of her secrets with you, Adam. Christina N. has taken over for the Lorax as the speaker for the trees. Mm. Honestly, though, she's looking for a new job. Those damn trees never shut up. Maples are very catchy, I mm. have to say. Yeah. To Kelsey C., the proprietor of a haunted Airbnb. Kelsey, quick question for you. Do you have any vacancies at the moment? Mm. John S., a collector of human skulls, an avid Hamlet enthusiast. Oh, well, that paired nicely. Yeah, that, that, that's on brand. And to Caitlin R., who was recently bitten by a stranger and can no longer see her reflection. And frankly, she's starting to get worried. I, I hope you are not also afraid of bats, because yes. that might be an issue. How do you know what your hair looks like? That's what I want mm. to know. Thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We are nothing. And we're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're so not Not worthy. even worth, like, one penny, and a penny mm. is the smallest denomination. Not a penny. Not even one penny. Not a pence. No, ooh, not a Mike Pence, indeed. He is truly worthless. 